Hey guys, this is Dean, and I just wanted to say thank you guys for um, listening every week. Um, some of you guys are um, really faithful to listen all the time, and uh, we just want to say we appreciate that, and uh, hope we hope that it's been a blessing to you, okay? And uh, I also want to say this week we're going to do things a little bit differently. Generally, what we do every week is usually what we do is we have a Bible study, and from that Bible study, we, we record it, and we take that, and we put it onto our podcast. Um, however, this this time of year is really busy. My wife has her own business. She's a chocolatier, uh, for any of you who might like chocolate. Um, so she makes uh, homemade chocolates and, and sells them and, and stuff at farmer's markets and, uh, you know, things of that nature and stuff. And she also has her website. And uh, so, yeah. So anyway, uh, as I was saying, this time of year is really busy for her. So um, we, we're we not being able to have as many meetings as we'd like to. So, but anyway, being as, as what, so what we were talking about last week and what we're going to continue to talk about is... Um, basically the the doctrines of election and um and um and foreknowledge things of that nature and stuff and uh we want to talk about it from an arminianist point of view not armenian which is someone from armenia but arminianist which is essentially it's just follow uh, an arminianist is someone who who basically follows in the footsteps of jacob arminius who was basically the um the opposite of calvinist uh, which, which were the followers of John Calvin. So, um, and along that spectrum, there are various degree, varying degrees of followers and varying, you know, varying schools of thought and what they believe and things of that nature and stuff. So anyway, we'll maybe hopefully talk about that a little bit later on in the series. But um, today specifically and next week, I wanted to talk about Romans chapter 9. And uh, uh, this week specifically, I wanted to talk about Romans 9 verses 1 through 16, because um, the two foundational bedrock scriptures that Calvinists use um, for their predestination and um, their doctrines of, of election and predestination are basically Ephesians 1 and 2 and Romans 8 and 9. And uh, we're going to just, we, we took a little bit, uh, a little look at Ephesians 1 last week and Ephesians 2 also. And um, this week we're just going to really go through Romans chapter 9 because really Romans 9 is the bedrock foundational um, chapter that they use to talk about election and predestination. And uh, we're just going to take a look at it and we're going to take it verse by verse and we're going to see if we can, what we can get out of it. Okay. So I'm going to start in Romans 9 verse 1. And I think that what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it first and then we're going to kind of go through it and, and, and look at some of the verses and stuff. So in verse 1 it says, I'm telling the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. And this is Paul speaking, that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption of sons, the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, Whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all. God blessed forever. Amen. 
But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is, not, that is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. Sorry. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, also when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had done nothing, had and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, beat Esau I have hated. What shall we then say? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. And so, again, those are the scriptures that we're looking at. And um, so the Calvinists will teach, and if you just read that scripture and you don't really dig into it, it does seem like, okay, God chose, you know, uh he chose Jacob, or he he chose uh, Jacob, but he hated Esau. He he chose Isaac and stuff. And and uh, what Calvinists do is they take these scriptures and they say, well, so these scriptures are talking about God, and this means that God chooses who He's going to save, and it chooses who He's not going to save. Before the foundation of the earth, God chose or predestined all those He was going to save. And the flip side of that coin is that God also chose and predestined all who were going to be sent to hell. And nobody would have any choice in the matter. Uh, and it, w it, didn't, it doesn't matter how you live, whether you live righteously, whether you live unrighteously. It doesn't matter. It, it, all that matters is did God choose you? Did God elect you to salvation before the foundation of the earth, or did God choose and elect you to go to hell before the foundation of the earth, okay? So we're going to look at these scriptures, and we're going to dig into them and see if that's what it's really saying. And we're going to start again with verse 1. Paul says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is testifying with Paul. So Paul is not lying here. He says that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, a kinsman, my kinsman according to the flesh. And so this is God, Paul's heart for his brothers. And, and who is he talking about? He's talking about Israel, right? Okay, uh, and think about that. All for for two thousand years, ever since the Garden of Eden, when when um, God told that uh, God told Adam and Eve that after they fell in the garden, and God said, "I'm going to raise up someone, and he's going to crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent's going to bite him on the heel." And all through the Old Testament were scriptures prophesying the coming Messiah. Okay, and so in all of Judaism. For, two, for over 2,000 years, they were waiting for their Messiah to come, okay? And, and so 
we know that Jesus was the Messiah. And so when, and, and, and Jesus came and revealed himself to Paul and Paul became a Christian and, and after he had, had put Christians to death. And so um, Jesus saves Paul, right? And Jesus reveals himself to Paul and shows him that he is in fact the Messiah. And Paul, so that's became Paul's new mission was to preach Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, both to Jews. Well, actually he started with the Jews first and they rejected it, and we'll talk about this um, hopefully next week, but they rejected his teaching, and so Paul went to the Gentiles, okay? And so Paul is grieving about that. He is grieving that, and, and even today, most Jews do not believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Matter of fact, if you go to Israel now, uh, most of Israel is, is a totally secular nation. Uh, most of them are, are atheists. Uh, most most Israelites who live in Israel are atheists or, or agnostics or, or don't believe in any God or whatever and stuff. Very few of them are, are um, believe uh, are Orthodox Jews and believe in Judaism, and even fewer believe in Christianity. And so Paul, uh, whose mission it was to reveal Christ. Um, to the world, but mainly you can see that his heart was that his brethren, because he was a Jew, he was born a Jew, uh, brought up in the customs that the Jews uh, did and in all the temple services and all that kind of stuff and the Torah and the Sabbaths and stuff. Paul practiced all that. He studied under Gamaliel, uh, Gamaliel, one of the well, uh, most well-known teachers in Judaism. And so Paul um, was steeped in that tradition and in um, and he loved it to a lot of degrees and stuff. And, and it was his learning and his knowledge before he came to a, uh, became a Christian that the Holy Spirit empowered and brought to life and showed him what those things meant. What am I saying? I'm saying that basically everything in the Old Testament were types and shadows of the things that were to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so Paul saw those things as being fulfilled and he tried to teach everywhere he went. He tried to teach about the things in the Old Testament that had been fulfilled through Christ. And his heart was lamenting because um, many of the Gentiles were receiving it. But at the same time, many of his fellow Jews, most of his fellow Jews, were rejecting it. Even just like it says in the book of John, Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And so Paul is lamenting that fact. Okay? And so um, also when we read the book of Romans, we have to understand, you have to have some kind of a history or an understanding of what was happening in Rome when the book of Romans was written. Who was it written to? Why was it written? Okay. Uh, now, in the early days of the church, uh, the reigning emperor was a man named Claudius. Okay. Now, we know that when, when Christianity first began, it started in Jerusalem and and basically, uh, it was a lot of Jews that were being saved, right? And uh, because, again, it started in Jerusalem, and, and basically that was the epicenter, right? All the, all the apostles were Jews. And uh, basically, everyone was in Jerusalem the day of Pentecost happens, and, and, you know, it really began to take off and spread like wildfire. Okay? So, um, um, so 
basically Christianity, when it started, it was very, very Judaistic, right? Okay, and so even when the apostles, when Paul taught and stuff, what every town that he would go to, he would go straight to the synagogue, right? And he would start teaching from the synagogue. So the very the the early Christian church was very very Judaistic, and it was predominantly um, being spread through converted Jewish Jewish people, right? Okay, and so and and that's the way it was in Rome. I think uh, a lot of the uh, and basically so Christianity spread out through the rest of the world through through um, believing Jews who lived in other parts of the world. Right. Even on the day of Pentecost, there were people gathered from all over the known world at that time because people, Jewish people who lived in Rome, who lived in Greece, who lived in other parts of the world would come to Jerusalem to, for Passover. So anyway, again, they were taking, so these Jewish believers were going back to their homes and taking this newfound faith with them, okay? And so the, the church in Rome was probably, as far as we know, and probably with good, good understanding, was started by Jewish believers. And when it started, it was very Jewish in nature, and, and, and uh, probably the majority of the believers were Jewish, okay? And uh, there was a time when the Emperor Claudius expelled all the Jews from Rome. Okay? And I think that happened a couple times. But you'll even see that in Acts, um, I think, chapter 18 or whatever. I can, you can look it up. It just talks about um, how they, you know, that Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome and stuff. And anyhow, um, so for a period of about five years, all the Jews, including Jewish Christians, were expelled from Rome. During that time, the the church was was Gentile, okay? Because that was all that was left there. And so the church grew uh, numerically and and politically, you might say, uh, through through Jews through Gentile believers, okay. So after about five years or so, Claudius allowed the Jews to come back to Rome, okay, which meant that the Jewish Christians would come back to Rome and stuff. When they came back, um, there it caused this massive split, this massive rift that you can see all throughout not only the book of Romans, but all throughout the New Testament. There's this, this tension between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And, and basically the Jews are like, well, we're first and we, we had, you know, Moses and Abraham and the law and all these stuff first. And you upstart Gentiles are coming in here and, and you're trying to take our place and stuff like that. And so this is the situation that the book of Romans is written in, okay? And Paul is trying to be a mediator, and he's trying to come in uh, in, the, in the book to the Romans, and he's trying, to, um, he's trying to be a peacekeeper, first of all. And it was because, and they were fighting because they did not understand. The Gentile uh, Christians and the Jewish Christians did not understand that they were part of one body. That there were not two classes of Christians. There were not Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, but there was one body of Christ. And you see this thread. This is one of the underlying threads in the whole of the New Testament that I think that so many people miss today. Is that 
over and over in the New Testament, the writers, the apostles, and the writers of the New Testament were trying to explain to the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers that you are one in Christ. There is no, is the Jewish believers are not better than the Gentile believers. The Gentile believers are not better than the Jewish believers. And yes, you do have a rich history because of the fathers and because of Abraham and all these things. You do have a rich history, but that does not make you better than the Gentile Christians because we all enter in through the door which is Jesus Christ there is one uh, one mediator between God and man and that is the man Christ Jesus no one gets saved but through him okay and so everybody comes to the cross there is no other way to salvation there is no other way to the father but through Jesus Christ and stuff and so this is what the apostles were trying to hammer into the heads of the New Testament believers okay and so um, that is where we're starting from, and that that is the context of which um, these things are being written, and that is the world that that the book of um, that the book of of Romans is written in. Okay, so again, let's read it again. Uh, Paul says, uh, um, "So he says, I'm lying." I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Look at verse 4. And he's talking again. He's not talking about individuals here. He's talking about Israel as a nation who, who were chosen by God. The whole of the Old Testament is written about who? Israel, right? God's chosen people and stuff. And so Paul is trying to explain to them how they fit into this new covenant. And he's also trying to explain to the Gentiles how they fit into this new covenant. And he's trying to explain to both of them how they fit together in this new covenant. And he says in verse 4 of, of the Israelites, he says, "Who he, my brethren, my kinsmen according to the, to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption of sons, right? God adopted them. The Bible talks about how um, that uh, God God adopted them and and chose them out of all the nations of the earth. Um, turn turn in your Bible uh, to De Deuteronomy chapter seven. In Deuteronomy seven, verse one. It says, when, now, uh, this is in Deuteronomy, it's written after the Lord had brought them out of Egypt and he showed them all the signs and the wonders, the plagues and the, uh, the cloud of, of fire by night and the cloud of uh, um, the pillar of cloud by day and the, the Red Sea and all these things. And this is before, this is as God is trying to bring them into the land of Israel. And in verse one, he says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them before you and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them, right? Now, this is the mindset. Again, we have to understand that this was the mindset of Jewish people. This was the mindset of Israelites for 2,000 years before the time of Christ. This is still the mindset of Jewish people at this time 
in, in the early church and people that are being born again, Jewish, Jewish people who are being born again, they are bringing these thought patterns, these beliefs into Christianity with them. Okay. Do you see that? He says, um, he says, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. For and there, here's the reason why God's not just God didn't just want to destroy them because he hated them or anything like that. It's because they worshiped foreign gods. They sacrificed their children to idols, um, um, even even burning them to death through the flames and stuff. And so their, their hearts were completely against God. And God knew that if the people of Israel intermarried with them, it would turn their hearts away from God. And you see that with Solomon. The Bible says that, that Solomon married many foreign wives and they turned his heart away from God. And so God was trying to prevent that. It's not that he hated them. He was trying to, um, he was trying to protect his people. And we're going to see later that there's a reason why God chose Israel. And that was to be a peculiar chosen people different from all the other nations of the world separate and unique among all the nations of the world he says uh, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods then the anger of the lord will be kindled against you and he will quickly destroy you but thus you shall do to them you shall tear down their altars and and smash their sacred pillars and hew down their ashram and burn their burn their graven images with fire for you are a holy people to the lord your god the lord your god has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth now keep this stuff in mind as we're talking about this because this is very important this was the mindset of the jew then and to a lot of ways it is the mindset of the jew even now okay it says um, um, verse 7 the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you are more in number than any of the peoples for you were the fewest of all the peoples but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the house of Pharaoh king of Egypt Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generation with those who love him and keep his commandments, but repays those who hate them to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay to, with him who hates him, but he will repay them to his face. Therefore you shall keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I am commanding you today to do them. You see that? Back to um, Romans chapter 9. Um, he says, verse 4, he says, Who are Israelites to whom belong the adoption of sons and the glory. Remember the glory cloud that followed them and, and also the temple the, when God had them build the tabernacle and there was the most holy place and the glory of the Lord would come down upon it and stuff. No other nation had this. It was only Israel that God did this with. He says, um, to whom belong the adoption of sons and the glory and the covenants. God gave them the covenants and the giving of the law. When God gave them the law, the Ten Commandments and the temple service and the promises. Whose are the fathers? Remember Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And from whom is the Christ? 
according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. And so even Jesus, like, like I said before, Jesus was Jewish. The apostles, in the flesh anyway, the apostles were Jewish. Christianity was Jewish. And there are very many people in the church today who want us to be Jewish. They want us to celebrate Passover and, and to observe Sabbaths and things of that nature and stuff. And, and, uh, and, and that's a whole different subject, but that's just kind of one of the points and stuff. But Christianity was birthed in Judaism and stuff, but, but it was radically different, and we're going to see that. So, um, so this is, again, the, the early church. You see over and over in the early church, there were problems between the Jewish believers and between Gentile believers. Turn to Acts chapter 6, verse 1, because I think this really kind of illustrates what was going on, not in, in lots of different places, you know. In Acts 6, verse 1. We're just going to look at one little scripture here. It says, now at this time, this is again in the very uh, the very early part of the church, right after um, uh, Pentecost, and, and, and many people were being saved. Multitudes of people were coming to Jesus and stuff. And, uh, you know, anytime you have growth, you're going to have problems, right? And, and so uh, the early church had their share of problems. And in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint, listen to this, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews, or in other words, the Gentile Jews, okay? Those who were not born in Israel, those who were not born Jewish. A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of the food. You see that? And so even in the early church, um, there was, for no better term, no better way to put it, there was some racism going on. And again, uh, the Jewish believers came by it honestly, because for 2,000 years, um, they, were, they were told, you are the chosen people. No one else is, is, is like you. Uh, no one else can, you know, God has chosen you among all the peoples of the earth to be his special people. You are a kingdom of priests, a holy people, a peculiar people and stuff. And so, and, uh, you know, um, turn to Exodus 19. So again, we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures tonight, but I think that it's really important that we kind of take our time and look at these because this is the thing if you want you know uh, Peter says that Paul wrote things that are hard for us to understand that's Peter speaking I mean Peter was like the lead apostle and he's saying that Paul says things that man it's hard for us to understand and so if it was hard for Peter to understand you know I mean people today are fighting over Romans 9 people for you know, 1,500 years have been fighting about is Calvinism true, is Arminianism true, and, and, and things of that nature. But the thing is, is God gave us his word to understand his ways, right? And so when we come to scriptures that are hard to understand, if we, begin, if we dig through them, if we study, if we take the rest of scripture and see how it all ties together, and we, we ask for the Holy Spirit to guide us, God will begin to instruct us and he will teach us and he will show us things, okay? 
God wants us to understand him. He wants us to understand his word. And in Exodus 19, verse 3, again, this is when God's giving them the, um, the law. He says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This is God speaking to Israel. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So again, this is what all the Israelites were steeped in. This is what the, the um, believers who were, who were born in Israel, but they were coming to the Lord. This is the kind of stuff that they were steeped in. And you can't, it is hard to change that kind of mindset, right? It's just like racism here in America. Racism, uh, I mean, slaves have been freed for about 200 years, but we're still talking about this, this issue of racism. It's a very difficult thing to overcome. And especially as believers, we as believers, there is no room whatsoever for racism in the church. Okay? Because we are all one in Christ. And we're going to see that that's what Paul is trying to get at. Okay? Um, and so, one thing that you'll notice, okay, so we, we saw those scriptures about how God chose Israel. And he chose them to be his representatives on the earth, okay? Right? He chose the Israelites, the Jewish people, to be unique among all the other nations so that all the other nations could look at them and see God in them. That was the purpose, right? God elected them. He chose them so that all the nations around them could look at them, look at their lives, look at the way that they lived and say, there is a God. And it showed even when the, when, um, when, the Jews first entered into the promised land when, when how they were going to go into um, Jericho and they, and the remember the spies met with the, the prostitute Rahab. And she said, the, we've already heard of your fame about how, what you, what God did to the Egyptians at the Red Sea and, and everyone's afraid of you. And so God choose, God chose Israel for, he elected Israel for the, for a purpose okay all election is for purpose and that purpose is to glorify God the whole purpose of election and God's choosing people is so that the nations around will be able to see the lives of his chosen people and say surely there is a God and and cause in them a desire to know God okay so, uh, you know, just like it says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, it says, you are ambassadors for Christ. So even in the New Testament, God's choosing and God's electing is for service. And that service is to glorify God. Every single believer is, is saved not to get out of hell. God does, doesn't save us to get us out of hell, okay? We need to get that completely out of our minds. God does not save any person to save them, protect them from hell. He saves us, first of all, to infuse us with his life so that we will reflect his light, right? The Bible says, let your light shine before all men. That is the reason why God saves you. And that's why God saves me is so that we can reflect him to this dark, sinful world that's around us 
so that people should could somehow look at our lives and say there is something different about that person and they might not be able to say what it is or even to nail it down but they know that when they look at your life there's something different about you and hopefully it will cause them to want to find out what that is okay um so these were a unique and chosen people look at verse 6 it says but it's not as though the word of God has failed listen to this for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel now number one Paul saying it's not as though the word of God has failed okay and if you looked at it just with like carnal eyes and looked at the whole situation in Israel not only then but now you you could say to some degree it's failed because they still don't believe in Jesus as their Messiah. And even in the time of Paul, the vast majority, even though there was revival and, and tons of people were getting saved and stuff, the majority still did not believe that Jesus was their Messiah. And so if you were looking at it in a carnal way, you could say, wow, it looks like God's plans failed. It looks like what God had had, had tried to do, what God had planned, even from the foundation of the world, didn't work out for him. But Paul's going to begin to show us that that's not at all what happened. God, uh, matter of fact, Paul's going to show us that not only did it, did it, um, did it succeed, but he's going to show us how it succeeded, okay? And in verse 6, he says, um, For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Now, really think about these scriptures right here that we're fixing to read, because these scriptures unlock the whole of Romans, eight, uh, Romans chapter 9. And it also, uh, and basically, actually, hopefully next week, we're going to talk about Romans 10 and Romans 11, because it's all one, uh, one big picture, right? And, and you can't separate 10 and 11 from Romans 9. But... Uh, but these scriptures right here unlock this whole Romans chapter 9. If you understand these scriptures right here, then you'll begin to understand what Paul is talking about. He says, For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. Now remember when Jesus said stuff like this, they tried to stone him. This kind of stuff could have gotten Paul killed. This kind of stuff was radical. We read this kind of stuff in the New Testament church, and we're like, eh, they're not all descendants who are descendants of Abraham, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, whatever, no big deal. This was radical, radical stuff. This was the kind of stuff that could get you killed. To, to tell a Jewish person that, hey, you're not a descendant of Abraham, that could get you killed. Because this was their tradition. This is what they were steeped in every single day of their lives. And this is stuff that they would fight to the death over. Okay? He says, uh, Nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. Look at this. That is, it is not the children of the flesh. In other words, it's not those who are born in Israel. It's not those who are born a Jew who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. Now, again, think of how radical it, that is for Paul to be saying that just because you were born in Israel doesn't mean that you're a child of God. Right? And so, again, that is some very, very radical stuff. Um, turn to uh, John chapter 8. 
And the thing is, is this stuff was in the Old Testament all the time, right? This is not a new thing. If, you know, again, this is stuff that Paul had learned all of his life. And when he became a Christian, when he became filled with the Holy Spirit, it finally made sense to him. Um, what did God told Abraham? You will be a father of many nations, right? And he said, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you and stuff. And, uh, and in John, what was it? Chapter six, John chapter eight. Verse 59. Or actually, let's, uh, let's start at verse 31. John 8, verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you... Now, again, uh, Calvinists say that, you know, believe in unconditional election, and once you're elected, you're elected forever, and you can't be unelected un and things like that. Again, over and over throughout the, the word of God, from Genesis to Revelation, you see cause and effect. If you do this, you will be blessed. If you don't do this, you will be cursed and stuff. And people are responsible for their actions. God does not want robots. God did not create robots in the Garden of Eden and be and sovereignly um, program every single thing that they would ever do, every single thought they would they would do, every everything that God is not like that. God. The thing is, is uh, you look in life uh, at people who who have who um, who are micromanagers. Why are they micromanagers? Because they operate out of fear. They they have to control things because they're afraid. Right? God is not afraid of anything. God created man with free will. Because he, you cannot serve God truly without free will. You cannot love God with all your heart. What do he say? The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. You cannot love God if he programmed you to love him. You cannot love God if he, is, he made you love him. If, if every choice that you made, he already determined for that to happen, and, and you're just a robot. You cannot truly love God unless you have free will. I cannot truly love my wife unless I have free will. Okay? In uh, verse 31 again. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, if, if is one of the biggest words in the Bible, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I think it's funny that we always quote that scripture, You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. What did Jesus say? If you continue in my word, then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Look at what they say. They answered them and said, we are Abraham's descendants and never yet have been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, what's ludicrous about that is that at that time they were slaves to the Romans and they had been slaves they had been slaves to the Egyptians. They had been slaves to the, the Greeks at one time. They had been slaves many times. And they're like, we've never been enslaved by anyone. He said, they, and again, so we just saw in Romans that just because you're born in Israel doesn't mean you are one of Abraham's descendants. He said, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How's, how is it that you say you will become free? 
And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. So even Jesus was showing that this whole thing, his kingdom, the all that stuff is a spiritual thing. Jesus, um, Jesus did not come to be a physical king, to sit on the throne of David, to sit on a physical throne in Israel and rule uh, as a physical king. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, and his followers are, uh, are those who live by the Spirit, not of the law. Okay? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, God, therefore you also do the things which you have heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We, were, we have one father, God. So in other words, they're trying to, you know, say you were born out of wedlock because of Mary and, and all this and stuff, not knowing what really happened, right? But it's just like anything. Anytime, you know, you get into an argument with somebody and they don't bring facts, they just trying to use innuendos and they just try, it's a smear campaign, right? Jesus said to them in verse 42, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come from my own initiative, but he sent me. He says, Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It's because you cannot hear my word. You are, listen what Jesus says to them, how radical that would have been. It would have been like, a, like he just walked up and slapped them in the face. And again, we always watch these movies about Jesus where he's like, Oh, Blessed are the spirit and heart, you, you snakes, you vipers. <laughs> you know, Jesus was radical. The, 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 most of the movies that are made about Jesus, if Jesus were truly like that, and even our evangelism today, the evangelism that we're taught in churches, you know, just go tell everyone Jesus loves them. Don't point out any kind of sin. And I'm not saying that you go out and just beat people over the heads and... and and, and, you know, take the Bible and just, you know, make them feel like worms and stuff like that. But a person has to know the truth. And Jesus wasn't trying to be, he, he wasn't doing this to be mean or to be spiteful. He's trying to open their eyes. He's trying to show them you don't understand what the things you're talking about. Just like when Jesus was with Nicodemus and Nicodemus doesn't understand these things. He says these things can only be taught by the Spirit. And they didn't have the Spirit of God and they couldn't understand, but he was trying to teach them. He says, uh, why do you not understand what I'm saying? It's because you cannot hear my word. You are of your, your father, the devil. You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he's a liar and he's the father of liars. Because I, but listen to this, but because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? And again, he lived in the public eye, right? 
If he would have sinned, believe me, they would have had something to pin on him and they would have used it and they would have done it. But, and so even at his trial, they couldn't come up with anything to accuse him of, you know, and certainly not any kind of a sin. He says, um, he who is of God, verse 47, hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory, for there's one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that, you're a that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Now, obviously, Jesus is talking about spiritual death. They think he's talking about physical death. What happened? What was the result of sin? Sinned into the entered into the world and everyone died because everyone sins. Right? He's talking about spiritual death. On the day that Adam and Eve ate of the fruit in the garden, they died. They didn't die physically. They died spiritually. Verse 54, or verse 53, Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, said, answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I don't know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to him, to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And over and over and over in the Bible, God was trying to open their eyes. Even in the Old Testament, he was telling them, circumcise your hearts. And, and even people like um, David understand, stood, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but what you desire is a broken and contrite heart. These Jewish people did not understand that. And they thought by their keeping of the law, they thought by their observing Torah, observing Sabbaths, observing feasts, and, doing, and, and sacrificing bulls and goats and lambs, that that made them in right standing with God. And they thought that it was an outward issue. And just like Jesus told them, you clean the outside of the cup, but inside it's filthy. And he says, outwardly, you look like whitewashed tombs, but in, inwardly, you're full of dead men's bones. They didn't realize that God wanted to change their hearts, not their actions, not their outwardness. Okay? And this is what Jesus was trying to teach them, and this is what Paul is trying to teach them now. Okay? So, and, and in Luke uh, 3, verse 3, even, even when John the Baptist came, go ahead and turn there. Luke uh, chapter 3, verse 3. Talking about John the Baptist, it says, He came into the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
As it's written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight, every ravine will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight, and the rough road smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by them, listen to what he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath of come, wrath to come? And that wrath came in 70 AD when the Romans came and completely destroyed Israel and Jerusalem and the temple. And the temple has not been built, rebuilt even to this day. Verse 8, Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, Look at this, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children for Abraham. Indeed, listen, listen to this, the axe is already, and we read, we, we talk about Jesus coming, and we talk about John the Baptist preaching these things, and we gloss over stuff like this. But yet it's there in the Word of God. What does he mean? The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. See that? So even John was trying to tell them it's a heart issue and God wants your heart. And the Messiah that's coming is not going to be somebody that's after the flesh, but after the heart. So, and again, in Romans 9, verse 8, it says, That is, it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. And it says, just like we saw, it says, not all are children because they're Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac, your descendants will be, will be, um, will be named. Um, turn to Galatians 3, verse 1. Because again, this, and these are just some of the scriptures, but this runs all throughout the New Testament. Galatians 3, and I believe that if you have eyes to see it, it actually runs throughout the Old Testament as well. And in Galatians 3, Verse 1, and so Paul said, not all those who are born descendants of Abraham are sons of Abraham. In Galatians 3, verse 1, it says, You foolish Galatians, Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose, Christ, whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Now again, uh, Paul wrote the book of Galatians because... Um, believers were getting saved and lots of believers were getting saved and you had the Judaizers coming behind and saying okay you can have Jesus you you can believe in Jesus but you also have to keep the Sabbaths you also have to practice um, um, ritual washings you have to sacrifice bulls and goats and all that kind of stuff also you also have to keep the temple services and stuff like that too Paul saying nope that's not We've done, that's been done away with. Jesus' blood is better than all of that. And Paul is coming against that. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And again, what's he talking about? He's talking about the things of the law. Now, he's not talking about obedience to God. He's talking about the ceremonial washings, the keeping of the sacrifices, and, and the Sabbaths, and all that kind of stuff. 
He said, Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How was Abraham saved? Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that is those who are of faith. Do you see that? He says, it is those who are not born in Israel. And he's speaking to Galatians. Galatians were Gentile believers. He says, it's not those who keep the Sabbath. It's not those who were born in Israel. It's not those who, who, who sacrifice bulls and stuff like that. It's those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Now, this is, again, mind-blowing to tell Gentile believers, you are sons of Abraham's. Because, again, even in the New Testament church, the Gentiles were being treated as second-class citizens by the Jewish believers. Again, we saw in Acts 1 how they were neglecting the Gentile believers' widows and stuff, but they were taking care of the Jewish ones, right? And again, it, there was this racism that was built into them that we are better than you because we are Jewish believers. And Paul, over and over throughout the New Testament, and Peter also, and the writer of Hebrews are assuring the believers that you are sons of Abraham. You are the ones that God was speaking of. He says, um, the scripture foreseeing in verse 8 that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to, beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. Do you see that? Again, it's in the Old Testament and it was always there waiting to be uncovered. So then in verse 9, those who are of the faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not by, abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. So again, God is telling these Gentile believers, you are just as much in with God as any Jewish believer. Um, let's see. Okay, turn to another place. Turn to um, Romans chapter 2. Again, this is in the same book, the book of Romans, that Romans 9 is it. Okay? In Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. In verse 17. He says, but if you bear the name of Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God, and again, remember the book of Romans is written to both Jewish believers and Gentile believers, but he's specifically speaking to Jewish believers in this part. He says, but if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know, the, know his will and approve the things that are essential being instructed out of the law and are Confident that you yourselves are guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth. You therefore who teach another, do not, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law. Through your breaking of the law, do you dishonor God? And it's just like when Jesus came and said, you know, 
you know, if you've been said that, you know, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. But I tell you that if you, if you, I mean, wait, if you commit adultery, you know, he says, but I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery. So he's taking it to the heart. And that's what Paul is doing also. He says, uh, verse 24, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written, for indeed circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you're a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. What does that say? If you are walking in sin, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised. Right? If you're walking in sin, you can sacrifice, well, as many bulls as you want to. You can, you can do any kind of ritual cleaning. You can be circumcised. That doesn't mean anything to God. Your circumcision has become uncircumcision, and you are just as bad as the Gentiles that you hate, right? Just as bad as any Samaritan, just as bad as any other Gentile. So if the uncircumcised man keeps... Look at this in verse 26. So if the uncircumcised man, the Gentile, keeps... Um, keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And again, what we're talking about the law is the moral law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. That's what all the law is condensed in, right? It's not talking about the ceremonial law. He says in verse 27, And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who through having the letter who though having the letter of the law in circumcision are transgressor of the law look at this in 28 and it's it can't be more clear and it's over and over in the new testament it says for he is and again there are people today who who are making two classes of believers jewish believers who are somehow better and gentile believers who are not quite as good and stuff and so we need to keep the passover and we need to do these jewish things so that we can be as good as a jewish believer he says, verse 28, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. I mean, it can't be any more clear than that. You can't, you know, it, it just can't be. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And we looked at this last week, but we'll look at it again because it's appropriate to what we're saying here. In Ephesians 2, uh, verse 11, it says, Therefore, remember, now again, Ephesians 1, I'm just going to read part of Ephesians 1 because Ephesians 1, again, remember, Ephesians 1 and Romans 9 are the bedrock foundational scriptures that Calvinists use to say that God elected everybody before the foundation of the world and and everyone was predestined and you God knew everything that you were ever going to do, every breath that you were going to take, every right, every wrong, whatever. God already knew that before you, uh, before you were ever created. And God only chose some people to be saved and he chose everyone else to be, to go to hell for eternity. So let's look in Romans uh, or Ephesians 1. It says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Number one, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Again, remember what we talked about? All 
Choosing all election is for service, and that service is to glorify God. He predestined us to adoption. Now, who did it say in Romans 9 was adopted? The Israelites, right? To whom belong the adoptions, right? But Paul is saying something different here. You, again, he's writing to Ephesians who are Gentile believers. He predestined us in verse 5 to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is the time when Jesus came and everything changed. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heavens and things on the earth. Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were first to hope in Christ will be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening, now listen to this and see if this is the choices that they made or the choices that God made. In him, you also, you Ephesians, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also what? They believed. Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So again, it's all cause and effect. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse uh, 11. Actually, we'll start in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Now, Paul is making this all-inclusive. Him being a Jewish believer, talking to Gentile believers, he says, we were all, every single one of us, dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. What's that grace? Not the grace in that he programmed people to be saved and programmed people not to be saved, but the grace and that he opened the door for every single human being that if whosoever believes in him can be saved. Jesus Christ opened the door for every single person on this earth. Now, that doesn't mean that we're Unitarians and we believe that everyone will be saved. That means that the potential is there for everyone who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who repents and turns to him with all their heart, he will in no wise cast out. Okay? It says... Um, for by grace, in verse 8, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one will boost. And again, don't, no one, I don't care how good you think you are, how uh, the good things that you've done, all that, nobody is good enough to save themselves. Nobody. Okay? We're all sinners, and we're all in need of grace. We're all in need of the blood of Jesus. 
Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore, remember, listen to this verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you Gentiles in the flesh. Now he's following this completely on all this. You were chosen, you were predestined, all this stuff. He says, therefore, remember that formerly, and this is not separate. This is tied into all that. Therefore, remember that formerly the Gentile, you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, look at this, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Again, it cannot be more clear. Who made both groups, Jewish and Gentile believers, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law commandments contained in ordinances, that is the ceremonial stuff, so that in himself he might make the two, Gentiles and Jews, into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And this is what Paul is trying to do. You are brothers in Christ. You Jewish believers are not better than you Gentile believers. You Gentile believers are not better than Jewish believers. You are all one in Christ. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. And he came and preached, verse 17, Peace to you who are far away and peace to you who are near. For through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints or of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the, and the prophets, Christ himself, being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Do you see that? Again, it cannot be more plain than that. And I just want to say, and I want to say it without equivocation, I want to say it plainly so that you'll understand. Most and especially the bedrock foundational scriptures that Calvinists use on election and predestination, saying that God chose individuals to be saved, God chose individuals to not be saved. Those scriptures, for the most part, are all tied into this fact that God is bringing the Gentiles in. The Gentiles who were excluded were now a part of the chosen people of God. And also, the Jews who thought they were a part of the chosen people of God were not chosen people of God except the Jewish believers who followed God from the heart and not the ceremony. And he's saying, you Jews, you Gentile believers who are following Jesus with all of your heart, who have been changed from the inside, who have been, had your heart circumcised, you are one in Christ and you are the chosen. 
And that's what it means to be the chosen. That's what it means to be the elect. And for the most part, he's speaking of a corporate body. He's talking about the body of Christ. Now, we're going to talk about, hopefully in the next week or the week after, we're going to talk about how God does choose some individuals. But that choosing, number one, is for service, is for a particular purpose, just like Paul chose, um, God chose Paul, and also people could resist that calling. That calling was not irresistible grace. That calling was not irresistible, just like God called Jonah to go to, uh, to uh, Nineveh. And what Jonah do? He went to Tarshish, right? Now God, in his grace and his mercy, wrecked the boat and had Jonah getting swallowed by a big uh, fish and stuff, and the fish spit him out in Nineveh and stuff. And so God made sure... God says, I want this done. I'm going to have it done. God is sovereign and God can have people do what he wants to do, but he didn't change Jonah's mindset. Okay. And he didn't, he didn't, he didn't inwardly make Jonah as a puppet do what he wanted to do. And we're going to look at over and over people who God chose, people like Saul, people like Balaam, who God wanted to use, and they resisted his will. And even the Jews in the New Testament resisted his will. And they said, we're not going to do that. And the, and the Calvinists say that God's will is irresistible. But the Bible, the Bible, not what John Calvin said, not what Calvinistic preachers say, but what the Bible says over and over and over and over from Genesis to Revelation, Adam and Eve, all the way through the Bible, there are people who resisted God's will. And it's not like God was playing some kind of a weird game where he's like, well, I'm going to have them resist my will. And it's just going to be a part of my big picture and they're going to go to hell for it. It's not like that at all. God doesn't play games like that. God is not some twisted kind of puppeteer that's got us all on strings. Okay, God has given us free will and he calls us to do things, but not all of us obey that call. Just like he says, many are called, but few are chosen. And as we, as we continue to look, we're going to see that God has called, in fact, everyone. And so again, what's happening in, in the book of Romans, if you want to go ahead and turn back to Romans chapter 9, is that there is this complete shift in the mindsets of of the Gentiles, for one, because now all of a sudden they're included when they had been excluded for centuries. And there's a complete shift in the minds of the Jews where, where they're being told, okay, you're not, well, they are still the special people of God if they are believers. They are the special chosen people of God if they are following Jesus by faith, right? Just as the Gentiles are. And so the, gent the Jews were upset about this, and, and basically they're saying, you know, um, they're trying to find fault with God, okay? And, and, and also, this stuff that we're talking about, over and over you, you read in the New Testament, the mystery of the Gospels. If you study those scriptures, those also are talking about how God has included the Gentiles in among his chosen people. It's all over again the New Testament. It's all, it's all very plain if you're willing to look at it, if you're willing to believe it. And so, okay? 
Thanks for listening, you guys. Um, Dean will continue the rest of this message in Romans 9 um, in a few days. Um, I would just check back, or if you subscribe, um, it'll probably give you a notification, which might help you. We're sorry we're not consistent as we'd like to be, but we both work, so that makes it difficult. Um, so he'll continue and probably in about verse 7 um, and continue on. And we hope you enjoy enjoying the message and really encourage you to um, come back and listen to the rest because all the teaching on Jacob and Esau and, and Isaac and Ishmael is very interesting and is very enlightening. So look forward to you guys coming back and um, thanks a lot for listening. God bless.